Ooh, there wait, we go. Here. Cool, you're there. I am. All right. Well, we know this works, so that's awesome. Um, I've mm -hmm. still got about twenty-ish minutes before I can bust free what I'm doing. Okay. But this appears to work. It As does. Go, one of the more successful I've ever held. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I am going to hang this one up, but I will uh, drop another in chat. In... Yeah, I'll aim for around twenty minutes from now. All right. I will talk to you then. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. See ya. Listener to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 105 of the podcast, and we have another great discussion lined up for you. This week, actually, the recording was a little bit interesting. It played out over the course of two days, just whatever free time I could steal in my lunch hours. I've been at a client site all week, so unfortunately, I've not had nearly as much opportunity to uh, set up recordings or actually really do much of anything. I come home. Uh, barely even have time sometimes to eat supper before I have to like take my kids off to a fastball practice or whatever else has been very, very busy this last week. But we were able to record an episode over the course of a couple of lunch times using Anchor.fm, which was spotty the first day, but worked very, very well the second day. Very happy about that. And the discussion is an interesting one. It started off as one thing, kind of went in a completely different direction, but fundamentally it's trying to answer the question of why the Ultima Dragons perhaps uniquely among gaming fandoms, have been able to endure and remain as active and as vibrant as they have been, even though it's been, you know, 20-ish, just about 20 years since the last single-player Ultima game was published. And of course, just a reminder, we are now hosted on Anchor.fm, a new and much more social podcast hosting platform. You can find us at anchor.fm slash podcast. And take advantage of some of the neat community features there. You can leave us voice messages up to a minute in duration. Give our episodes applause. If you're on Anchor in the future, when we hold these recordings, uh, if we wind up using Anchor.fm as our recording platform again, you'd of course, be more than welcome to join us. And for those of you who do the smart home thing, you can find us live on the Apple HomePod. Try saying, hey, Siri, play the podcast Spam, 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 Humbug. Alternatively, if you do the Google Home thing, you can try saying, hey, Google, play the podcast, spam, 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 humbug, see what happens. Also very happy, of course, to say that this episode of Spam, 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 Humbug is brought to you by our Patreon backers. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and the Codex by that means. And as always, a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Dominic, Chris, Violation, Adam, Eric, Thorwan, Pascal, Helgriff, Aaron, the Hearth of Britannia, Edward, Stirring Dragon, Cranberry, Slegnor, Bruce, Christopher, Gradia, and Shamino, 70K. And now... On with the show. Enjoy. My goodness. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's been a long time since we've had you on an episode. That's, uh, that's I know. Crazy. I'm trying to remember when the last time I was on one of these was. Uh, I could look it up right now, but I'm not going to because you know, <laughs> that would probably take too long. Most likely. Yeah, but uh, I, I imagine your ears perked up handily when you saw the uh, episode title. Oh my yes. Well, I hope I can do justice to that. Uh, I gotta admit, <laughs> it's it's something that I was stewing around 
So, and you know, note to the listeners out there, the next thing I'm about to say is probably going to inspire some reflective hatred, reflexive hatred, sorry, instinctual reflexive hatred in at least one of you. But don't shut off the podcast because I'll explain myself. <laughs> Prerequisite so, disclaimer. Yes. So, th- you know, there's just, there's a few people I have in my life. Um, a lot of them I keep track of on Facebook, actually, uh, where if I see them railing against something, I feel almost obligated to investigate the thing they're railing against because one of two things will inevitably prove to be true. It'll either be something that I like and I'm glad to have found, or it'll be something I dislike, but I will find that they are misrepresenting it even so, and that the actual reasons for disliking it are other than what is being said. (laughs) So to that end, I have fallen into the orbit of the controversial Jordan B. Peterson. I've been checking out his podcasts a lot lately. And it's interesting because like in all of the talks that he's given, he keeps, there's certain themes he keeps coming back to. And I was finally, like I was driving down to Lacombe and because I've been doing a lot of work in, uh, at a client site near that fair town in Alberta. And I was listening to something he was saying, and it was about the third or fourth time I'd heard him say it. And all of a sudden, like it clicked in my head that maybe this is why the Ultima fandom continues to be as uh, extant as it is today. (laughs) (laughs) Because, so he has, like I said, and he has certain themes that he keeps repeating, but one of the more important ones is he, he really talks about the importance of story. And he really talks about the importance of um, mythos. And, you know, not just in the sense of, you know, like um, fictional tales, although those can be part of mythos, but, you know, the, the, the broader concept of, of mythos as, and again, it comes back to, you know, this idea of story, these animating narratives that underpin um, cultures he really hammers on about the importance of those. And it got me thinking that, you know, well, sorry, the other thing that he talks about a lot is is sort of the, uh, he's obviously a big fan too of, you know, like moral systems. And these two things together really got me thinking that, you know, maybe there's, I mean, the Ultima games are good games, and that's plenty of reason to celebrate them for what they are. But maybe there's more I mean, to it than just that. I mean, that why we're here in the that. first place? Well, yeah, right? <laughs> that is what we're doing. But maybe there's more to it than just that. Maybe, you know, because there's lots of other good games that are well worth playing, which don't necessarily have fan communities that are as vibrant this long after those games have stopped being um, published entities. But, you know, we're still kicking around and we're still active. We're still celebrating Ultima and to be fans of Ultima. And it got me thinking that, you know, maybe there's something more to it than just the fact that the Ultimas are really great games, although they are that too. Because, I mean, if you think about the what the Ultima series has laid out for us, there's a couple of really interesting mm-hmm. things that, you know, come up on um, uh, sort of along the lines of, of what Peterson talks about. For one, you know, um, we have, and for a lot of people, the eight virtues did form sort of the the backbone of their own moral and ethical formation. But, you know, so we have that moral system, that ethical system, which importantly is 
outside the individual. You know, it's not something that's purely self-determined. It's something that's above any given individual, which they have to, you know, access and participate in. And then we have our story. We have our animating narrative. And you know what? It's Britannia. But I mean, like... Well, depending on which game you're in. Depending on which game. Yeah, it could be Pagan or Serpent Isle, I suppose. But we're... Or Aodon <laughs> or Mars or Cesario or... Yeah, you're currently on Mars, as I recall. Yep. But we, uh, you know, we have that, that, that story. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with it being, say... Uh, a purely fictional story too. I mean, there's inc there's an incredible wealth of meaning and um, and mythos to be found in something like Lord of the Rings, right? Well, that was whole that was Tolkien's whole point in writing the Lord of the Rings was you know he wanted to lay down a kind of mythology for the English speaking West. Mm -hmm. That was his that was one of his main goals in you know composing the Lord of the Rings and crafting it as he did and. You know, there's many people who read Lord of the Rings and, you know, like that is kind of their, that, that becomes, you know, sort of their animating narrative too, right? Is that you have this, um, this, this grand tale of, of, of heroism and sacrifice, but also just of people. And out of that, you know, there's immense meaning to be drawn. And for a lot of people that is kind of, you know, that forms a significant part of the core of their meaning. And we have that in our community, you know, the Ultima games form a really biz amazingly core part of our meeting. I mean, I've said it myself, Britannia was my Narnia. I never really had <laughs> the, the, the C.S. Lewis novels growing up. Well, um, Narnia, Narnia was my Narnia, but... <laughs> fair enough. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So, I don't know, this was just stuff that I was mulling on as I was driving, because it's like an hour and a half commute one way for me to get to this work site. Exactly, right? And then I had to like pull over and quickly scribble down at least an episode title, which of course got your ears perked <laughs> up. Um, but yeah, I don't know. These are like, there's something that binds the Ultima community together. Maybe, maybe even, you know, uniquely so among fandoms. I don't, I can't think off the top of my head of any other. And I mean, that's not to say that there aren't, you know, fans of other games, but like, does the Baldur's Gate community have its equivalent of us? <laughs> Which is considerably more recent than the Ultima series, too. I mean, does I think the better question is, does something like Might and Magic have its equivalent of us? Its, and yes. I can't think of it if so. Um, even though there actually are more recent entries in the Might and Magic series than there are in the Ultima series, technically. True. Not counting maybe uh, the occasional failed foray into mobile, mm -hmm. but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but yeah i don't know we have a, an odd staying power and it's you know you can see it too in the community because it's not just you know when we get together as community we don't just talk about the games i mean we do often enough but we don't just talk about them there's it's you know the community is at various times a support group it is at various times you know intensely philosophical it is at various times um, you know, a place where we cheer each other on and sort of, you know, champion each other in some of the different projects and other efforts we get up to. Um, there's, you know, like it, it is in every legitimate sense, a community may, you know, almost actually <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny because like when I was growing up, 
I lived in a community in the middle of Edmonton, well, southern part of Edmonton, and it was it was a wonderful place to grow up as a kid. It still is, actually. It's you know, one of the top neighborhoods, I guess, for raising children in Edmonton. And it's a you know, like there was just you felt you know everything that people talk about when they talk about living in community. You really kind of felt it there. And it's weird because you know now I live where I live. And it's not in that same community anymore. It's in a different place. Technically, it's in a different city. <laughs> and that sense of community isn't there. I mean, like, I know my neighbors and I'm, you know, good friends with the one of them especially. But um, that, you know, like, it still feels like, you know, it doesn't feel as much like a community to me. It's just sort of a collection of houses where we all live close to each other. A bunch of people in close proximity with each exactly, other. Exactly. Exactly. You know, community in name only, um, because we don't really have a better term to describe those little subdivisions within a city, you know, that we change the names of. And in my city's case, name the streets according to, right? So everything starts with D. <laughs> um, but, you know, so like, I think about that i think about sort of this the coldness of the community environment around me where i live and then i think about the close knittedness of the ultimate dragon that's just like this is more of a community than the community i physically live in <laughs> it is a community in the more authentic sense than the community i physically live in and that is so weird to me but at the same time it kind of makes sense because you know again we have something that binds us together that is more than just the fact that we all play the same game. It's that that game has, those games have impacted our lives at a much deeper level than just the, the, the sensory enjoyment and the entertainment of, you know, progressing through their narrative. Dave, uh, you sound like you're working a socket wrench. I'm not. Ah. Interesting. There's some odd rattling on the line. It sounds very much like a socket wrench to me. I'm pacing, but... Ah, maybe it's coming from my end and I'm sitting in my car because I wanted to walk around, but there's an intense wind outside. That <laughs> yeah, that probably well would not be conducive to uh, good audio. Yeah, well, you know, that little blurb that at the... That little blurb that we did earlier, which I might use as the starting, like, lead-in, was in the server room, and I imagine the background noise was just horrible. Um, but... I, I don't know. Like, there's just, there's something about the dragons that, you know, elevates us to that level of, you know, actually being a community. And I think, you know, for me at any rate, this is maybe to quote um, Spock, you know, in uh, Star Trek six, you know, I have a, I have a theory that fits the facts. <laughs> um, I think I may as well. So let's see if they match. Okay. Well, I've already presented mine, so, you know, by all means, go right ahead. But, you know, this kind of like mine is like we have, you know, not only this shared enjoyment of the Ultimate Games, but through them, we have, you know, sort of our animating narrative. We have our mythos. We have um, even a sort of, you know, a, a bit of a moral framework that's, you know, something that's kind of outside of all of us, but at the same time that we're all sort of in some way, you know, we allow ourselves to be connected to and participate in. And that gives the community, I think, a lot of a surprising amount of depth. But anyways, your theory. <laughs> well, my brain goes immediately to two things, actually. Um, the first thing that my brain goes to is something that I said when I, um, when I was playing through Ultima 4 for uh, 
from my Ultimate Journeys blog. And it's the sense that that story is not just a story about the character in the game. It's as much a personal story for the player. It's the entire game revolves around learning lessons of virtue. And the end, the big final quote unquote boss battle isn't against some big creature. It is literally a test on how well you have learned those lessons of virtue. What virtue stems from this? What does this mean? What is, what, uh, how do all these virtues relate to one another? And I think by drawing the player themselves into the story of the game as cleanly as that does, it, it makes more of a lasting effect on a person. It's, it, I'm not entirely sure how to phrase it properly. I say that a lot, I feel. Hmm. Well, it's a difficult thing to grasp at sometimes, right? Exactly. Who knows, who knows better than a linguist how difficult words can be sometimes? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, like, well, and, you know, I think sort of, you know, that gets back, is that the, the whole idea of Ultima from the, from the get-go, basically, at least from Ultima 4 on, and I guess you could argue to a degree in the earlier games, was that it was supposed to be you. Oh, you can definitely argue that for the earlier games. I mean, that's what the manuals basically imply. It was supposed to be you. you. It was supposed to be not just, you know, I mean, no no offense to the Mass Effect games. They're great. But, you know, um, I'm playing as Commander Shepard, which is fine. But it's not really me. Even if I can make him look kind of like me, it's not really me. No offense to the Mario games. They're phenomenal games but I'm playing as a little Italian plumber, which I am not, personally. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm neither Italian, nor, you know, overly small, nor um, particularly adept at plumbing. <laughs> uh, I like mushrooms, though. But, yeah, um, I don't even have that. Oh, well, there you go. Um but, you know, like the, the whole idea of the Ultimate Games was, yeah, you were supposed to be that character that you saw on screen. It was supposed to be you having the opportunity to put yourself into the game and, you know, take yourself on that adventure. And I mean, I get that that's partly why, you know, the fact that uh, technical limitations in the later in the latter two Ult in the last two Ultimas, the last two single player Ultimas, um, which basically locked you in, as you know, um, the blonde male archetype. Um, because they literally did not have the resources to include any other options. <laughs> um, you know, I, I get why that didn't sit well with people, because to that point, you know, to varying degrees, you'd been able to, you know, be more authentically yourself as you played through the games, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that definitely was, that, that, that's definitely like a huge part of it here. Let's see, you know, we're coming up on the 10 minute mark. I wonder if we'll get disconnected. That's definitely a huge part of, I think, you know, what attracted us to the games. But, you know, it did more than that, right? Because, and I mean, I've had this conversation, I don't know how many times, I've seen people say this, I don't know how many times, that, you know, then the virtues became their virtues, became their moral systems. Goodness, Sir Klaus was talking about it um, sort of when we were bantering last week. And, um, I don't know if that made it into the online episode, but it, you know, it was definitely something that came up in the discussion. And it's just like, 
you take you take that ability for the person to connect themselves into the story, to project themselves into the story, to literally put their own embodiment into the story, and then you surround it with that deep-ish moral framework. Yeah, I can see why you know it just it it sticks in your head. You know it 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 just draws you in and almost nothing else really quite seems to compare in the same way. In fact, I can't think of any other game that's really done that for me. Yeah, I'm not I mean, sure I can either. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely been drawn into and immersed in games before, but you know, never, you know, not in the sense of, you know, well, I'm going to keep coming back to this one for the next 20 years <laughs> um, <laughs> or longer. So yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I'm honestly trying to think of another game that's that's had that impact, and it's not really coming to me. Um, <laughs> I'm also stalling because there was another point that I was going to make along the uh, around the subject of you know putting yourself in the game, which now has eluded me entirely. But well, let that's me not let me say there. something else then, and see if it see if it comes back to you in the process. Sure, sure. Because the other thing that stands out to me, it must be something about the name Jordan, because I am big into story and mythic structure and all that good mm. stuff myself. In fact, um, one of my, one of my um, favorite resources as a writer, um, one that's had the most impact on me and my writing, is, uh, is a book called The, uh, the Writer's Journey by, um, oh boy, uh, Christopher Vogler, I want to say. And cool. it's basically him talking, uh, the author is talking about, you know, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero with a thousand faces and right. how those points can be applied to, to um, modern day storytelling in novels and, and uh, movies and all that good stuff. Um, and one thing that stands out to me um, in, uh, as far as the ultimate games go is one thing he says is that um, in effective stories in, in, uh, myth, mythic structure, it's not enough to show the hero defeating the big, the big obstacle at the end of the story. You have to show how that experience has changed him, how, how he goes back to the normal everyday that he experienced at the beginning of the story and how he looks at that differently, how it's changed his perception of it. And like you mentioned back with uh, Lord of the Rings, it doesn't, the story doesn't end with the defeat of Sauron. It ends with the hobbits going back to the Shire and essentially showing how they've changed, how the Shire has changed as a result of the course of the story. Well, and in the Lord of the Rings, it's the ultimate example because of course, you know, Frodo especially has yes. been changed so profoundly by the experience of carrying the ring that he can't stay in the Shire or even in Middle, Middle Earth. Period. Yeah, he has to leave. He has to go to the Grey Havens. The problem with that is that's a hard thing to capture in games because the game ends when you beat the final boss. I mean, of course, there can be, you know, some, some uh, falling action in some cutscene or something. But you as a player are generally done with the quote-unquote story after you defeat the big bat. But there's some elements in the Ultima games that kind of actually pulls it off. You're because talking about the ending to Ultima 5. I am. <laughs> because at the end of Ultima 5, the Avatar goes back to Earth, discovers his place robbed, and there's this blurb about how, you know, realization that Britannia isn't the only world in need of virtue. 
there's there's an invitation to reflect on how the adventure has changed the protagonist, which in Ultima's case is you. Yep. And, you know, it, it, it's an interesting reflection, too, is that in that, you know, and I actually really like this in um, they do this really well in the, the Lord of the Rings movie, too. It's actually it's like it's a throwaway scene. It's barely there. But I'm so glad that Peter Jackson included it because it sort of perfectly encapsulates something that the ending of Ultima 5 also encapsulates, which is that, you know, um, so I can't remember exactly which of the hobbits is in scene. I want to say it's like Sam and Pippin, or maybe it's Pippin and Mary. I'm not entirely sure, but they're riding back into Hobbiton on their ponies. And there's that one old hobbit who's like sweeping his front porch and he looks up at them and they're smiling down at him with their, you know, big uh, heroic grins. And he just scowls. Yes. <laughs> Cause you know, it, it, it's not even, and you know, you can even find like elements of this in like the, 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 the gospels, right? I mean, if you think about like the character of Jesus, you know, the, the person of Jesus and all of his preaching and miracles, what happens when he goes to his hometown? They say, Hey, isn't this the carpenter's son? What the hell gives? A prophet is not without honor, save in his own home. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's, and it's there in that Ultima five ending too. It's just like, Hey, I just, you know, overthrew, the 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 dark forces of the shadow lords and banished you know you know helped banish blackthorn to wherever he's off to for his exile and i've saved britannia yet again and someone stole but my i TV. can't even stop someone from stealing my damn television <laughs> <laughs> um although you know, he apparently just... does get a pretty nice one come ultima six yeah well i mean hopefully the insurance was there to help him out but uh <laughs> But yeah, like it's just, you know, that that scowling hobbit, right? It's just you come back to where you're from and you've been changed, but nothing else has changed. And oftentimes the stuff that the all that all that stuff that hasn't changed suddenly isn't all that welcoming of you who has changed because you're just so darn different from what you used to be. And you're so darn different from the 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 culture that you left behind you know you've been transformed um gosh this is true just you know this is true in but again that's something that's you know true in life whether it's you know people who have um you know like people who have profound religious conversions people who um you know suddenly massively restructure their political alignment just there's so many different ways that we can have you know that we can go through drastic changes in our own lives and then when we try go back to the people we knew before um having kids hello <laughs> <laughs> um, i think you have more authority on that subject than i do hey you know, it's it's totally right up there uh in in this same list right um you know you can't go back again or if you do it's totally different and it's changed you know like so yeah, like I think about like, you know, the, the friends I had before, especially through scouting. And I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be able to keep in touch with uh, at least some of them. But you know, even then, that's not the same. Um, you know, once you have kids, your your schedule changes, your priority changes, which you can allocate your, you know, spare dollars to changes. Um, and so, you know, like there's people that I see more of now than I did before. And there's people that I don't see near as much as I used to before because I've changed in a way that maybe they haven't, you know, not all the people that I hung out with back in my twenties went on to have kids by, you know, 
now. <laughs> and so, you know, if they want to get together and do a thing, that, you know, is maybe easier for them to do than it is for me to get away because I've got all these, you know, my priorities have changed. Considerations have changed. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you go through all of these different possible life-changing events, you know, even in your own life. And then when you try to go back to something that you knew before. It's not the same anymore. Exactly. You can't, you can't access it in the same way. And it doesn't respond to you in the same way. You don't fit into it in the same way anymore. Um, so, yeah, that's, maybe that's another resonant thing too, is that, you know, the, the Ultima games do at least flirt with that idea a little bit. And again, it's something that's, you know, intensely, intensely relatable. It's where that narrative and that story, you know, speak to the deeper reality that we all know from our lives. The quest of the Avatar is forever. Yeah, so it is. So it is. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and of course, I'm at an industrial facility, so it's noon, which means, and it seems to be like a commonplace practice, noon on Wednesdays um, is when a lot of industrial facilities will test their alarms. Oh, joy. So I think they're done now, but... Uh, Two, two different sets of alarms at this site because there's two different companies that operate out of it. So the, uh, the one set was rather amusing because um, a perfect fourth. <laughs> they, they had two horns going and it was a perfect fourth. That must have, must have been a uh, musician on the, uh, on the team who planned that. I know. I was just like, resolve the chord. Resolve the chord. <laughs> Thank you. It's like now uh, I've got now I've got an unresolved chord in the back of my head for the rest of the day. And it's very um, alarming. It is. And then the other set of alarms, which just finished <laughs> testing a couple minutes ago, were um, have you ever heard ELO's Night in the City? Um I mean th this is I'm way sure back I machine have. stuff. I'm sure I have. I just not don't recognize it by name. At the end of ELO's Night in the City, there's um <clears throat> you know, some horns that like they're meant to, to sound like car horns, I guess. Right. <laughs> and the progression, uh, like there, there's, there's, I think two horns that play and, um, you know, one's a little bit higher pitched than the other one and they kind of play off each other. Um, and honestly, the, the horns sounded like th these last two alarm horns sounded like exactly like that <laughs> like right on pitch and almost in the same sequence. I'm just like, Seriously? Seriously? <laughs> what is this, 1981 again? You got to entertain yourself somehow. Yeah, well. So, uh, <laughs> I guess so. But uh, anyways, through the magic of podcasting, we are continuing this discussion, even though it's a day later. So that's uh, always awesome. And I'm going to fill it. I suspect the Time Lord got involved. It, you know what? Uh, yes, the Time Lord definitely got, got involved. And if not that, then at least the timeline editor in Audacity got involved. <laughs> same, thing, same difference, really. Yeah, I mean, you're manipulating minutes and seconds either way. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I'm filibustering for a minute. We're going to give Sir Klaus a chance to hopefully join the call. Hello, everyone. Uh, how are you? Oh, there me you up? are. Hi, hey, how are you doing? Guys, huh? Because I thought there was an... Um, a PC application for the 
of a recording, but it's only on on the phone. Yeah, there's a like there's a web application for Anchor, but they haven't released a formalized desktop front end yet. So, and they may never. When I uh, try to sign in, if I want me to create the podcast. Oh yeah, no, it's like no, I don't want to do that. I just want to be in one. By phone, right? <laughs> so, but, but so I'm here. So yeah, cool. So, anyways, we were talking about um, narrative and, and story and um, the virtues and sort of how these things tie together. And I mean, like, it's, it's kind of, really, it's a cultural discussion, um, you know, because cultures do tend to be underpinned by narratives that they define themselves by. And oftentimes that they draw lessons and even ethics and moral reasoning out of. Um, and it just, it struck me in thinking about this as, you know, interesting that the Ultima Dragons have been such a darn tight-knit community, even so long after the Ultima games have uh, stopped being published, at least as single-player titles. And I just, I, I don't know, I have to wonder if maybe a part of that, or what I was wondering was, you know, if maybe a part of that is the fact that we have something more than just, you know, a series of games. We have, you know, games that for a lot of people, and Klaus, I think you are in this uh, particular um, circle. You know, we have these games that have, you know, not just told us an engaging story, but also for many of us, given us sort of a, a moral or an ethical foundation that we try to live our lives by. So, and I, I just, I can't help but wonder if maybe that is, you know, a big part of the reason why Ultima and the Ultima fan community, the Dragons, have this bizarre staying power that, you know, A, makes us an actual, an actually really great community, you know, um, like I was saying previously, um, feels more like a community than the actual physical residential community that I live in. <clears throat> And also gives us, you know, this absurd longevity that we have, you know, so far outlived the Ultima games by, gosh, it's almost 20 years since the last single-player entry was published. Uh, um, oh, boy. It has, hasn't it? Yeah, next year, next year. Time flies. Time flies. But, uh... I'm getting a lot of... Uh... Um, possibly. I mean, at the end of the day, this is all happening over cellular connections, so I have no idea how well this is going to uh, work for all involved. But at any rate, okay. I, I think it's it's uh, you can you can draw an interesting parallel maybe between the Ultima mm. community and the Star Wars community. It's it's uh, especially in the time. Uh, in between the the release of the the last uh, Return of the Jedi movie and the the beginning of the, the Return of Star Wars uh, in the mainstream for the mainstream audience uh, around yes. the start of the 1990s, it's it's a community who continued uh, to exist uh, outside of the release of mass consumption products uh, because. Uh, wanted uh, to, to it exist beyond just the circle of the of the commercial 
things that happen, movie, games, or, or books, and things like that. Because uh, the, the the philosophies and the world itself uh, lends itself to be more than just uh, an entertainment product. And it's, it's the same thing for me with Ultima. Uh, when I discovered Ultima, I was uh, what, 15, 16 years old, and I was enthralled with of the world, but also uh, the, the philosophical aspect of the game. Because the virtues themselves, as they were presented, were not um, uh, uh, of, uh, that were, were easy to follow. It was well, I mean, they, they, they don't, they're not a set of rules in and of itself. But they're, they're more like... The, oh, well, sorry. Go on. Ah, oh, we lost him. Darn it. Ah! See if he comes back. Um, although he did raise an interesting point about Star Wars, which, yeah, I hadn't really considered yesterday. Although it's interesting now that, um, you know, less so in the prequels, but definitely more so in the sequels, because, yeah, like, you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of people really did sort of, you know, bind themselves to Jedi philosophy, which is cool. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting that the prequels to a lesser extent and the sequels to a massive extent are deconstructing that, like viciously deconstructing that in the case of The Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, adverb for it. So I... Uh... I, uh, I, I'm genuinely, <clears throat> but I mean, there is the point to be made there that, you know, yeah, like Star Wars was another one of those things that laid down a, um, a mythology, but also, you know, something more, something that people could actually, you know, then define and shape their own ethics and morality by. It was pretty cool. Um, and, and the, the fact that you're bringing up how, how the, um, the sequel, the Star Wars sequel, deconstruct you know, the Jedi code and all that. Because that's putting me in mind of the fact Ultima does the same thing. I mean, that's Ultima 5. It's deconstructing what happens when you mandate virtue. Ultima 6 is what happens when virtues collide. Ultima 7 goes into, you know, how virtue is difficult. It's not meant to be easy. And it's, it doesn't just lay it out. It, it examines it. It goes further with it. It, it, it messes with it. Yep, and then I mean, ultimately, Ultima Nine kind of just wraps it all up and says that you know, Ultima Nine. I mean, Ultima Nine doesn't wipe away the virtues, but Ultima Nine wipes away the Avatar. Yes, you know, kind of says, you know, all of this other stuff now duly considered, you the embodiment of the virtues, you need to end. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the virtues need to be their own things. Um, so that is an interesting aspect of it as well. And I think, you know, too, but again, like, you know, and when you frame it in that sense, like, I think that just kind of adds to this whole, to the whole staying power. And I think to also, you know, the, the, why I think so many people find the, the virtues such a compelling system to, to shape their own morality around is because, um, they, Hey there, um, we uh, so anyways yeah just you know because you go from defining the virtues to deconstructing the virtues to 
poking at the edges of the virtues and seeing where they break down or where <clears throat> conflicts emerge. And then finally you come to the end of it <clears throat> where you say, you know, these are the virtues and they can't be embodied in a single person. You know, they, they have to be the virtues and you, the avatar, you're the one that has to end. Um, it's, it's this very complete progression and evolution and maturation of the, of the virtues, you know, which I think, I think for a lot of people, you know, is really like, it makes them so much more accessible because like, that's the same sort of stuff you kind of have to go through in your own life. Uh, they are, you know, they, when they are examined over the course of the games for exactly. good or for ill. But the, the point for, uh, for the avatar was never to be uh, the only one. It, it, the, the, the idea between uh, behind uh, the quest for, for the virtues in the Diva 4 was that anyone could be an avatar. But it never materialized in the game. And it's, it's one of the issues. Uh, did any of you read the Lina Bay books? Yes, I was just thinking about that. Because there are uh, these peers of virtues, and uh, one of them is, is said to be uh, to have attained uh, almost uh, perfection in in seven of the eight virtues, but he's too prideful, and he doesn't uh, can't achieve the virtue of humility. But this 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 aspect of the virtues is completely uh, completely disappears. Uh, Starting with Pokemon 5, and, and beyond this game, beyond the, the Pokemon 4, the virtues are only for the avatar. And it's, it's, it's the culmination of this situation is Ultima 9. Very and, true. And that, that it, it, it's a problem in the, in the universe uh, of Ultima, because, and because the avatar never was meant to be... Uh, uh, alone figure, and um, another aspect which is interesting in the in the virtue is that uh, the status of the avatar is repeatedly repeatedly noted as being uh, temporary, uh, if you will, as you have to strive every day to maintain this status uh, of the virtue, and it's completely possible to have uh, to, to to not an avatar virtue and lose an eight and becoming uh, a normal person again. It's, it's implied in it never happens because you've become more than just um, uh, a personification of the virtues. You're a public person and your title is attached to you even if you are not virtuous anymore. And uh, uh, if my memory serves well, the only situation, for example, in which you are not referred as the avatar is when you start Ultima 5 with, uh, with uh, save from Ultima 4, in which you didn't, uh, which you didn't finish the quest, and you are still a, a normal person. Hmm. And the game refers to you as your class, uh, um, as, as opposed as when you start Ultima 5 with a fresh character, uh, which, called, which um, doesn't give you uh, your class, but the avatar special status name. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, sort of how, um, you know, like in the books more than in the games, um, you can, Ultima 4 perhaps accepted, of course, 
but you know, like in the books, you can, or in the books, you know, Lynn Abbey writes that, you know, you can kind of, it's something that you do have to continually work at, you know, being the avatar and, and, and living up to the virtues because I mean, that is, <clears throat> that's a very, you know, like that's something that of course resonates very much in the real world. I mean, at least to my, to my sensibilities, right. Coming out of Catholicism as I do, you know, <clears throat> it's not like, okay, well I'm baptized and I've been to first communion. So, you know, I've got my free ticket to heaven and I'm good now. No. Um, <clears throat> you know, that, that whole, the moral life is a con- something that is continuously worked at, continuously failed at, you know, <laughs> and there's, the, <laughs> and there's this, you know, there's this constant process of, of sin and redemption of, you know, of, of failure and healing that takes place throughout life. Um, because, you know, like living is hard and making the right choice in every circumstance is hard, probably impossible. Um, especially because making the wrong choice is often really, really, really darn alluring. Um, whereas making the right choice is often like, Wow, that seems like way too much difficulty for it to be worth it. That and when, 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 uh, sorry, please. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, linguistic. Okay, um, one of the things that springs to mind um, in reference to um, Lynn Abbey's books is is the fact that virtue does not always match your perceptions of them. I suppose is what I'm trying to say because how you think a virtue is supposed to manifest may not necessarily be what that virtue actually means. Valor isn't necessarily just running out and onto the battlefield and slaying everything boldly in sight. It's it's a bit. It can be a bit more judicious than that. It's it's too, it's picking your battles, sticking to them, um, holding your ground, and knowing when maybe you need to give a little ground. It's it's a bit more nuanced, and that's reflected a bit better in the books, I think, because. The main character's perception of of what virtue is changes a bit over the course of the story, and because he's actually personally reflecting on what they mean, how they manifest in his life, how he treats them. Like at the very beginning, somebody somebody mentions, you know, why is humility even one of the virtues? What's the point of humility? And and let's just say he is very humbled by the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's a point that I kind of have made a few times before as well, more on the bite-sized virtue side than here in Spam, 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 Humbug. But, that's you know, nice. again, c- yeah, well, coming out of, you know, um, a philosophical tradition that relies fairly heavily on um, Aristotle, you know, and sort of the Aristotelian model of virtues. Um, <clears throat> yeah, virtue isn't, you know, that's that's still my one beef with, the eight virtues, and it's actually one of the reasons that I really like the uh, the virtue system of um, Serpentile, because you know in the Aristotelian model, virtue isn't a simple binary opposite to a single vice. The virtue a is a is a golden mean between two equal and opposite vices, right? So, and, and valor is one of the ones that I point to rather uh, consistently because it's one of the easiest to define, you know, what is the obvious opposite of valor? Cowardice. What is the other, not quite so obvious, but still opposite of valor? Wanton recklessness. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, I think it's uh, also a, a problem maybe with uh, simply game design because um, the game limitation when Ultima 4 was released uh, were very difficult maybe for uh, Lord British to, uh, to, to, to develop a complex system 
uh, of balancing the virtues themselves. For example, in the game, even if you are with one hit point, you can't run from a battle. It's, it's a mechanical issue for the, for the game. But I agree with you that they didn't develop the virtues themselves and the balance between, uh, between the excess uh, of some virtue in the later game. I mean, most of discussion with uh, the virtue themselves say in Ultima 4 and Ultima 5. Yeah. And you see, the, you see the excess of virtues applied to everyone as a law with Lord Blackthorn virtues, which aren't bad. They are, they are enforced. It's not a choice. It's a law. It's, it's the difference between the philosophical aspect and what, what, what happens in the game. But uh, after Ultima 5, the, the virtues themselves take a, a, a backseat in the, in the story. Even in Ultima 6, it's more of the ex exploration of the cultural differences with the gargoyles and what makes us similar to them that is explored than the virtues themselves as they are uh, explained in Ultima 4. Yeah. And after that, the virtues are a thing of the past. In Ultima 7, the shrines doesn't, do not talk to you anymore and you can't achieve anything. Ultima uh, 7 Part 2 has the official virtues, but you don't have any reflection on your own set of virtues you're bringing from Britannia. You are just presented another set of beliefs, and you have to uh, achieve a new status within this, this, uh, this situation. Well, Ultima 8 is... And the only time you return to the virtues is Ultima 9. But although to be fair, there is a bit of there, there is a bit of visiting of the virtues or not the virtues so much as the three principles. Those are kind of touched on in Serpentile, but only insofar as they're presented to us as and again, it's the binary, not, not the uh, you know, it's the binary, not the golden mean uh, sense of the opposite. Right. But the three towns fawn monitor yes. and moonshade all yes. embody um <clears throat> the, the vices that oppose the principles a, right? a perverted principle i would go so far as to say yes yes, yes. you know but love beauty etc exactly yeah. the city who uses the principle is monitor and it's courage but everybody in the city has to pass the test Succeed in the test, join a knightly order, or be expelled from the city. It's it's pretty harsh, and yes. you have to. It's not it's not about being a knight. It's being about uh, a community, and the same for Faun, and the same for the city of Majors. You are not uh, tested on your belief. You are tested as a part of the of the belief of the community rather than your own, uh, your own valor in the system. Yeah. And I mean, like fundamentally, each of those cities, you know, opposes the principle that it perverts. Right. So, you know, the city of courage, well, what are they? They're actually all cowards because they don't actually have any gumption to deal with the goblin problem. What is the city of fawn? You know, fundamentally um, they emphasize beauty and they are profoundly unloving. 
and you know the city of moonshade i can't remember what their thing that they emphasize illusion. is illusion, illusion. okay well illusion. that one's a little more on the no- that one's a little more on the nose then because obviously like they are consistently duplicitous yeah. and deceiving they they, yeah. they lie constantly yeah. so you know opposing truth um not so truth, presenting falsehood as truth yes <laughs> yeah. and it's interesting because um if you look back uh, before Ultima Fall, uh, the, the part of the majors, uh, there was two cults of majors, the uh, Book of Amber Runes and the, the Liturgy of Truth. And it's interesting because both situations using magic were uh, using knowledge and truth as the basis. And they evolved from these roots to the majors of Moonglow who, who flow honesty and truth. Yep. It's, it, and uh, I always found it interesting that even la- in later eras of the game, no, uh, no religion system or no, except for the fellowship, but between the, the end of Ultima 6 and the start of Ultima 7 with the fellowship, it's been 200 years and it doesn't seem like the virtue themselves are followed anymore as a principle system. I mean, uh, people just don't care. It's, it's more uh, apathy or... Uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but people just don't have any moral system uh, uh, linked to the action between the, the two errors until the fellowship begins again. You know, if I was being more cynical than I feel today, I'd probably say, hey, that took Britannia 200 years. It only took since the 1950s in the States. <laughs> <laughs> but only if you were feeling more cynical. Yes. But I mean, uh, but I mean, like, like, you know, you, yeah, fra- you but- putting it that way does kind of resonate with me as well, because like that is one like that is a fairly common cultural commentary is that, you know, like nowadays our present age the, the postmodern age, if you will, does seem to be characterized by um, more of a sense of, you know, things like hopelessness, right? I mean, see, depression seems to be on the rise a lot more. Um, people, you know, like we, we uh, you know, people seem to be struggling for meaning a lot more than maybe they previously did. And, you know, like, and and much has become, you know, the idea of relativism has, you know, really risen to the fore where, you know, like, so it becomes very difficult to, you know, then, uh, so, I mean, there, there's been a lot of cultural shift in the real world as well, which Britannia obviously also saw. And so they kind of parallel each other in some way there. But Um, one of the main differences between our world and Britannia is the advance of science. I think that uh, bringing the science on the forefront uh, and opposed to uh, any type of philosophical or spiritual belief has been an important uh, fact, uh, factor of change in our society. And explain mainly the, the speed of the, the change. And you, if Maybe. you look at the society of today, people are looking back beyond science to other type of beliefs. I mean, we are looking and it's, it's one of the reasons why uh, things like uh, uh, how is it called uh, the inspiration for fellowship uh, uh, 
uh, Scientology? Scientology uh, had such an appeal because it, it filled these, these uh, questions people had and for those who did not want to return to classical traditional religions, it's, it's, it's uh, a hole they can fill with this. Uh, but to, to, to return to the situation in Britannia, Britannia didn't evolve very much technologically wise. Nor is it science-wise a very different world from before. What happened is just that uh, I, I think by, by having nobody uh, uh, being able to replicate the, situa- the, the success of the avatar, the, the player character, people started to get bored of the, of the situation and didn't care anymore. Maybe. I mean, some of them do like kind of voice it a little bit. It's like, you know, like what, what do the virtues do in the life of the average Britannian? It's, and it's a question that kind of the is posed maybe indirectly by some characters. Um, But then, you know, at the same time, like, um, and I mean, Ultima nine is maybe a little bit on the nose in terms of, you know, how it (laughs) frames the answer to that question. Um, But, if you did you uh, there was a, a number of fiction works uh, that existed on the website and later uh, in the in the prima guide that were printed. Yeah, the stories were, of the companions. Yeah, the principles of virtue. No, it, it wasn't always a story of virtue. It was a, a story told. Uh, some stories were told by uh, a traveler, which is the avatar, to mundane people in the uh, of Britannia, discussing the. Um, what is interesting, it doesn't say, uh, it, it doesn't give, give an answer to the person question, but um, answer the question but with a story. Um, let the people think about, about it. And I thought it interesting because he, he wasn't preaching uh, the virtue, he was just discussing the situation. You know, this and, is something I scribbled down as a note. Um, because, and sorry, I don't mean to, to jump in, but I'm looking at my watch here and I've probably only got about five minutes left. This is something <laughs> I scribbled down as a note in the show notes. Um, but I think, you know, like you're touching on it there. Um, there was a, uh, there was a theologian, Hans Urs von Balthasar, whose works I've been getting into more and more and more. And his great contention was that, especially to a culture which has you know um he didn't use this phrase but it's it's a it's a phrase that you know again has kind of come up in cultural commentary and i think in a way it also sort of describes what happened in britannia between ultima six and ultima seven but you know in response to a culture that has you know lost its narrative in in response to a culture that has really um walked away from its from the story that it used to define itself by um You can't come to people with you. Can, you can't come to people with you know uh, a moral code and say this is the way. And you definitely can't come to them with you know high philosophy and say these are the things that are true. To speak into that culture again, you have to lead with beauty. You have to lead with you know something that is appealing appealing and desirable you know desirable and just enjoyable on its own merits because 
you know, not because it is itself a higher truth, but because it is just, it is a thing of beauty, right? And I think, you know, like you talk, you know, you're talking about like these stories and how the avatar is, you know, talking, telling, talking to people through these, these stories and these tales. And that's kind of what's happening there is that, you know, the avatar is hoping, this traveler is hoping to maybe, you know, bring the people back to the virtues, but it's not by, you know, saying, you know, here's compassion and here's what compassion means and here's how to live compassionately. No, 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 no. It's just, here's, you know, let's, let's have a story about this. And through that, let's maybe try and point to the good. And if we can see the good, then maybe that will usher us towards the truth a little bit, but it just starts with a beautiful story. I think it's interesting because if you look at the story of the virtues, uh, the history of the virtues in Ultima, they were proposed by Lord British. They created a rift with three towns leaving Britannia. After that, people struggled to, uh, to achieve this goal set up by, by Lord British. I mean, the story of the virtues, especially before the end of the quest of the Avatar, um, very similar to the, to the quest of the Grail. It, while everybody could try to, uh, to achieve the virtues, when you actually see what you have to do as the avatar to finish the quest, it's not anybody who could do it. Well, I mean, that's, that's Batlin's I, argument against the virtues in Ultima 7. He's the one who says, he says that, that the virtues ultimately are based on failure because no one can be expected to be 100% virtuous 100% of the time. Well, and I mean, yes, that's true but, in but, our own lives but too. He, yes, but, but, but beyond the, the situation being uh, virtuous, I mean, Batlin is using people because uh, it's, a, it's, it's a philosophical path. You, you don't, the, the way of the avatar doesn't expect you to be virtuous at every moment, but you, you should think about your actions. And as, as, uh, as the gypsy uh, points it in the test, sometimes you have to choose between two virtues, two, 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 two valid answers to a question. And it's, it's, it's a personal choice of preference. It's, it's not about choosing the right. And, and this is something that, that was very appealing to me when I was young and still to this day. The questions are not about having, uh, choosing between a good or a bad or evil uh, answer. It's choosing between one virtue and another. And, and I think it's, it's what people in Britannia, don't understand. Sometimes you just have to choose in your in your in your heart and soul, and not between just cold facts. But to return to, to history, after the quest of the Avatar, everybody started to want to be one, and most of them failed. After that, a couple of years after that, maybe twenty to ten years, I can't remember when Ultima Five starts. The, the, the virtues are transformed as law and are forced on people and very terrible things are done in the name of virtues. And after that, a couple of persons, a couple of people, less than before, try to maintain the virtues, but they are already declining by, by the time of Ultima 6. And the, the virtues themselves are seen, and the avatar, are seen as the catalyst of the war uh, between the gargoyles and the Britannian force, and people die, and situations are, are worse for the matter in 
Britannia until the Avatar comes back and sacrifice himself to to restore the the, um, the codex in the void. But if you look at the history of virtues, even be before it's nine, from and if you if you want to include uh, Ultima the World One, you can do it. I mean, between Ultima Four and the end of Ultima Underworld One, each time the virtues were the center of the situation, it was a terrible uh, a ter terrible event happened. So I can blame the, pers the, the, the folks of Bitrania of moving away from them. Well, I think the mistake there was making, you know, and I, you, you touched on this already, the mistake there really was, you know, <clears throat> making the virtues something with a finish line. Because, you know, like, you know, and Lord British admits as much in Ultima 7 when he's talking about the Isle of Fire and, you know, how... Uh, and it also comes out in other bits of the Ultima lore, right? Is that, you know, like all these tests and trials were laid out and nobody could pass all of them. Well, that's because, you know, you're trying to abstract away um, the development and inculcation of of virtue as something that actually has a finish line. And what's neat about, and I mean, Ultima 6 doesn't say this explicitly, but if you actually watch how the NPCs in the different towns live out their lives, it's there implicitly. Ultima 9 says it a little too on the nose, but it's still there in Ultima 9, is that, <clears throat> you know, the there is no end point to the virtues. There's no finish line for compassion, say. It's not something that, you know, any number of tests or trials will get you, uh, you know, will necessarily make you more compassionate. It's that, you know what, this is a thing that is meant to just be lived. You know, it's not like, yeah, if you do this, 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 and this, then you will be an eight part avatar of compassion. No, it's just like, you know what, if you want to be compassionate, take care of your poor. You know, if you, <clears throat> um, and I mean, that, like, that's, that's, I think very much, you know, the case in real life as well is like, there's no, there is no finish line to to virtue to the good moral life there's no point at which you have you know done a b c d all the way through z and at that point you know you are then and forevermore a a, a person who Max, your virtue exactly sword, upholds like that, that virtue right i mean even something like you know like in in the modern understanding the you know love as a virtue means to will the good of the other even in that definition that's a continuous, not a, you know, that's not something that is able to be isolated in any particular moment or any particular accomplishment in time, because, you know, we constantly encounter the other in our lives. And, you know, if we love them, then constantly we need to be willing the good for them um, again and again and again, as often as we encounter them and for as long as we encounter them, you know, there's no end point to that. And there shouldn't be. And, you know, like, that's where I think Lord British went wrong in the story of Ultima in, you know, laying out the virtues. The virtues themselves are a really good idea, but how they were initially presenting them as presented, a quest to be attained. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, there's no and because and then, you know, there's no follow up there. Right. Or the follow up yeah. becomes their codification in law, which is also bad. Um, <laughs> anyways, I. I am unfortunately going to have to hang up because I have to run. And uh, I, don't, uh, I don't think I'll be able to get away again today, unfortunately, to have more of a chat because, you know, the client needs help. But uh, 
this is something I think we're going to have to come back to and explore in another episode. I agree. Yes, I agree. Okay. Because there's well, a lot all. I have to say about Ultima 7 that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Keep. Okay. Keep some notes. Thank you. <laughs> I intend to. It's uh, So this has been cool. It's good to have you on again, even for a short little discussion. Good to be here. Mm-hmm. If this is an advantageous time for you, I'm going to have to find more opportunities to get recordings done around this time. Well, it probably only is for this week. <laughs> oh, alas. Your schedule is just... Just before I started a new job. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness, you. <laughs> well, though, a new job might mean that your evenings open up again. Hopefully. Ah, well, do keep us posted, because, of course, it would always be great to have you back. I will All do right. that. I have missed this. Yeah, this is good. This is really good. All right. Well, thank you all. This has been great. And uh, I will see if I can put together an episode out of this. Excellent. Yes, great. Okay. Excellent. Goodbye. Take care. Bye-bye. See ya. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email at ultimacodex at gmail.com or if you're feeling a bit braver you can leave us a voice message in one of three places the podcast website our facebook page or on anchor.fm you're also welcome to join us on discord to chat with us and to lurk or contribute to podcast recordings when they happen if you want to join the Ultima Dragons, you can do so at udic.org, where at you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultima Dragons on Facebook and on Google+. You can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter or join them on Slack or Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live for everyone else. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio on occasion and possibly other interesting content. But if a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can always buy your video games at GOG. We are a partner of that fine site, and every time you buy one or more games at GOG via the links on our websites or in the show notes, that helps us out. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spam 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 humbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous.